How often do you sit in the Thanksgiving chair? I hope you sit in the Thanksgiving chair often. It's a good place to sit. It's a good place to be at. You know as well as I do. Everything in this world, except for that which allows itself to be touched by God, will seek to keep you out of the Thanksgiving chair. Your dreams, your hopes, your endeavors will all lead you to grow tired, to get frustrated, and instead of giving thanksgiving to say, I'm just wore out. How often do you sit in the thanksgiving chair? The verse at the end of that video... 1 Thessalonians 5.18 In the New Living Translation, the translation that I read from, it says, Be thankful in all circumstances. That's my country music background. There you go. That verse says, be thankful in all circumstances. Now listen. For this is God's will. He doesn't say to everybody. Be thankful in all circumstances for this is God's will to you who belong to Christ Jesus. You see, the Christian doesn't have a choice. Oh, yes, I do. Don't you tell me that. That's why a lot of people don't like going to church. Or they don't like reading the Bible. You see, because they hear what the Bible says or what God says, or they hear a guy like me talk about what God says, and they say, I don't want to hear that. I have a choice. I'm telling you, if you belong to Christ Jesus, you're either a follower of Him or you're not. And God tells us to be thankful in all circumstances. For this is God's will to you who belong to Christ Jesus. There's a book that, that I've just started reading. Called Gratitude. How to Appreciate Life's Gifts. This does not come from a religious organization. This is just a bunch of... I call them eggheads, very intelligent people who are trying to find out how to appreciate life, how to be grateful. A lot of us parents try to raise our children to be grateful, and then, boy, that just disappoints us. They become 8, 10, 13, and all they want is things. And especially if we, teach, we don't teach them right, when they're 20, they're down on our backs because we don't give. You got, how come you don't give to me? And then... Boy, if they get into 30 and 40 like that, they're just a headache. Life's all about them. Life's all about them. I think a great definition I heard about humbleness is when you don't believe you're entitled. When you're not caught up in entitlement. My mama owes me something. My daddy owes me something. My wife owes me something. My kids owe me something. Now, well, these people... This is their second book. This book was published in 2010. It's just a compilation of articles. 
written by different people. I want to read to you an article that's written by a gal by the name of Jen, J-E-N, Halsman. Jen works for David's Bridal. David's Bridal. It's a company that deals with wedding and special occasion apparel. Just a lady like you and I. She happened to take a course, a course that dealt with learning about gratitude. She thought that was sort of silly. Learning about gratitude? You have to think about gratitude? I can't read you all that. But in the course, she was given an exercise. The exercise was that every day, you would think about three blessings. That's what they called them, three blessings. Every day, you would think about three blessings. They were only to do that for a week, but it was so impacting that she thought, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to do this with my seven-year-old boy, Jonah. Jonah James Halsman. Her conclusion, if I read it to you, was that those who, who did this, six months later were impacted with the idea of gratitude and appreciation. More so than those who just monitored the, them doing that. But she was so caught up. Her, her son Jonah, he didn't want to call it three blessings. He called it three good things. That's what she titled her article. Which if you look it up on the internet, you can find it on the internet. I just wanted to read what other people had to say in their discoveries. I can't wait. There's a chapter in here about a person got a divorce because that's really, that's real in our society. And a lot of people bitter about that. But she was so caught up with what her son was experiencing that she decided beyond what her work was in her course that she would interview Jonah, her seven-year-old boy, about three good things. That's what I want to read to you. And I'm not even reading all of it. Mom, her question. What do you think of our bedtime tradition of talking about three good things? Jonah. Hmm. I like it. It's like, you know, good to share good stuff. Why, don't you like it? <laughs> I responded, yes, she says. Mom. Why do you think it feels good to talk about our good things? Seven-year-old boy, Jonah. Maybe because you might have something that wasn't fun. So if you talk about good things, well, the bad things, you won't think about anymore. Now in her article... She gave what she called adult translations. I call them mom's conclusions. If I read you more in this, her seven-year-old son said you ought to put these conclusions in your article. And so she made sure they were appropriate according to how he thought. This is the first conclusion so far. And I've not even read everything they were talking about. But here's the conclusion. Focusing on the positive can distract from the power of the negative. Got to go to school tomorrow, don't you? Oh, I hate school. That's a negative. 
find something to be positive. Will it enhance maybe your earning income? Is it true that you will learn things maybe you've never known before? <gasps> I heard I'm going to die. <laughs> That's pretty negative. If you don't know Christ. So all you think about I'm going to die? Has your family abandoned you? Could that be a positive? Catch that. Focusing on the positive can distract from the power of negative. I had to work Thanksgiving Day. That's a negative. My family didn't. Focus on the positive. Your wallet got bigger. Am I making sense of that? That's, that's what they're saying. Let me read the next one. Mom, how do you choose your good things? This is what the seven-year-old said. The weird thing is, you might not have done a good thing or had fun. So, so you can't share something that you think someone else had fun with. Because, I'm sorry, he said, so you can share something that you think someone else had fun with. Because that would be good, to have something good happen to someone you love too. Here's mom's conclusion. Our happiness can be enhanced by the increased happiness of those around us. Gosh, there's so much could be said about that. Most of us are only concerned about our happiness. Our happiness can be enhanced by the increased happiness of those around us. One more. Mom, is it always easy to think of three good things to a seven-year-old? Jonah. I, I can hear adults saying, if I told them, think of three good things every day. It stresses me out to try to think of three good things. Listen to this, seven years old. Mom's question, is it always easy to think of three good things? Jonah. You might get stressed. <laughs> because, you might not be because you might not be able to get one out. Oh, but if it was Saturday or Sunday, your parents could help you share one. Because Saturday and Sunday are home days, to, so your parents will probably know what you did because you were probably on vacation with them or outside or watching TV or reading a book with your parents. Or, if you're somebody that doesn't have any good things and your parents can't help you think of one, you can share it with your friends who might think of something that you could brainstorm from. And this is the mom's conclusion. Sometimes it's important to have people around who remind us of the good things we have. God says, God says, Hebrews. I already gave you 1 Thessalonians 5.18. It was on that screen. That was just a different translation. Hebrews 10.25. God says, to God's people, not people who don't know Jesus, do not neglect meeting together as some of God's people tend to do but encourage one another I would tell you during this holiday season Thanksgiving leading into Christmas we all know it can be rushed to remember these three things let me read them again the conclusions focusing on the positive can distract from the power of the negative our happiness can be enhanced with the increased happiness of those around us. And sometimes it's important to have people around us who remind us of the good things we have. Here at Connection, we try to remind people 
that God loves them, that God cares for them, and we try to let them feel something good. This is the fourth Sunday or the last Sunday of the month, and what we do on the last Sunday of the month is we take up a gift, a monetary gift that we call Touch Someone's Life Gift. If you have your worship handout, you can read two stories from last month. Because we broke the gift down, it was large, and we broke it down so two people could give it away. We don't pass an offering plate most Sundays. If you want to give the connection, you just put it in that container back there. Okay? But we started at the beginning of this year. We started at the last of each month. We're going to pass popcorn bags, just paper sacks. And we ask you to put in your quarters, your dimes, your dollars, whatever you want. And that money's going to be gathered. It will be counted. It will be brought in at the end of worship. And then what I'm going to do, I'm going to give it to somebody here in this worship. Not for you to keep, for you to give away. You have two stories that tell you about that. I'll give you a piece of paper to help you have more instructions, half sheet of instructions, and we just want you to give it away. And so I'd like the lead team members, if they would, to just start in the back and collect. Get those bags ready. Don't pass them out yet. Let me say this. Okay? If you're, you're not a regular at Connection, you don't give anything. Just watch. Somebody says, don't tell me what to do. Okay, then you give. But listen, we're not wanting you to give. See? This isn't to get money. This is to give a gift. You watch the people of connection. And I'm going to say this now because I started it last month. There may be someone here who needs $10 or $20 to finish off that electric bill or to buy those groceries or you don't know how you're going to do whatever that is. If that's true, when this bag goes through, you can look in it. If there's $10 in there, you just reach in, take it out. We have said we want to take our hands off of this. We want God to use it. And I don't know how that's going to feel. I don't know how that's going to feel. But I want you to know, I'm just trusting God to use this money. Some of you people are so tight, that scares you half to death. You know, you're tight like me. Ask my wife. But I just want us to let this go. When we started this, the lead team said, we're going to give this money to just somebody in our group. But how are we going to control them? We're not. That's their business. We're just going to ask them to write us a story. Because those stories are what encourage other people. So if you would pass those bags, and when it comes to you, just pass on down your roll, and, and we'll just keep trying to move it along, and they're going to collect it. If you write a check, the check will be kept until next month because the treasurer has to put that in the bank. And today we're just going to count the cash at the end of worship. They'll remind me if I sort of forget. Hey, don't forget, we've got to give the money out. And we'll give the money out then. What I'd like you to do is open your Bibles if you would. Okay? While you're waiting for that bag, or why, if it's already passed, you open your Bibles to Luke, the, the ninth chapter. Luke, the ninth chapter. If you have one of those New Testaments, it's page 59. Uh, we ask people to bring their Bibles if they can. Um, we have New Testaments. If you don't like carrying a big Bible, there's small New Testaments that are out on a table. Take one of those with you and then bring it back each week and use it. It's very easy book. Stick in a purse, stick in your pocket, whatever, and bring it back. But we're in Luke, okay? Luke, the ninth chapter. I'm doing a series of sermons that I have called Luke's Gospel, Checking Out Jesus. If you, if you have your, your, your handout you were given, there's a page of sermon notes there's some blanks. There's, I think there's three blanks today that you'll be able to fill in. 
you would, turn to that. But the title says Luke's Gospel, Checking Out Jesus. Now, because there's some new folks here, if I'm preaching and there's a question that comes to your mind, it says at the top of that page, if you can text, then you can text to that number. I'll probably answer one, maybe two, depending on how long we go. Okay? If you listen well, I probably won't go long. If you seem to... No. Uh, thank you. I was wondering if anybody's awake to hear that. Thank you. But... Uh, but if you like the text, you can, a question, because sometimes something's said and you wish you could ask the pastor a question, you can. If I don't answer today, then what it will happen is I'll get that question and I'll email it to you or I'll give it back to the person who receives the text and they'll text it back to you so you can get an answer this week, okay? But what we're doing, we're reading Luke's Gospel. Okay, we're reading now the New Living Translation. If you don't have a Bible, in a little bit, it'll be on the screen, Okay? Luke's gospel was written 29 years after Jesus had left the earth. Now folks, anything that's written over 1,000 to 1,500 years from today's date is considered writing of antiquity. People much more intellectual than myself who study ancient writings will make that qualification. And the reason they say that is because there were not copiers, typewriters. You had to do the task to write something down. You had to get a writing instrument to write with. Remember, when our nation was founded, they were writing with, some people were writing with feathers out of a bird. Okay, you understand? And that's only what? 200 and some years ago, almost 300, 1776, 240 years ago, quick math. 1,000, 1,500 years ago, for somebody to write something, they had to get some kind of instrument to write with. They had to develop some kind of writing substance. They had to get something they could write on. reason we don't have a lot of copies of ancient writings is because whatever they used deteriorated. Then they had to take time to do that. You know, they couldn't turn on the light at night and write. Okay? Older folks' eyes got bad, okay? You know, they, they just had, it was a task. And so people who study writings antiquity tell you, you find something that's 1,000, 1,500 years old and that can be verified by other people who might have wrote about the incident, hmm, most likely. Now, we teach history in our colleges and our high school as truth from information that comes out of antiquity. But when it comes to Christianity, we got information 29 years from the time of Jesus. We, we teach in our colleges and universities about events and characters of antiquity, and we don't have information that's in within the first 300 to 500 years of their experiences. I could tell you those names. Okay? And so we're looking at Luke because it's so close to the event of Jesus' existence. And Luke, who didn't walk with Jesus, is going to places and checking this out. And what we have learned so far is that Jesus was born as a baby. We're getting near that time in Christmas. Well, we already have talked about that. Jesus was born as a baby. We looked at the things that happened. Luke talked to Mary. Luke talked to the, or to the angels. No, not the angels. He talked to the shepherds. He got information. He wrote it down so you and I could understand. Just like you would if you were writing something about your grandfather before he died or after he died you'd gather the information from mom or dad from an uncle an aunt from a brother or sister to grandpa and you'd write it down and i'm telling you if grandpa did anything significant 200 years from now people will be reading what you wrote down and if it lasts a thousand years if he did anything to influence society they'll be reading a thousand years from today 
And so that's all Luke is doing. And we learned about Jesus' boyhood years. And Jesus grew and we're told. Listen, we're told that Jesus grew in wisdom. Okay, and if you remember when I talked about that back then, okay, that word wisdom is a Greek word, because we read out the English, but it's written in the Greek, it's the word Sophia, Sophia. Okay, that means to grow in understanding. Now listen, we get the word Sophia, if you hear that, that's a Greek word, we get our English word sophistication from that Greek word. And we say somebody who knows how to take care of something, they're sophisticated in taking care of cars. If they have some intellectual understanding about something, they're sophisticated in their life. See, Jesus grew in understanding God, life, and Himself. That's what the Bible is trying to tell us. Because we don't know a lot about Jesus. And then it says he grew in maturity. Now if we could get into the Greek again, and we can't because you and I weren't taught to read Greek, but if we could get into Greek, that word maturity means he grew to understand some things about his body. We say when people get older, they mature. Now you know as well as I do, there are some people who are 16, 18, 28, 38 that's never matured. They don't understand some things about their bodies. You got, you got a 28-year-old trying to relate with a 12-year-old sexually. They don't understand something about their body. You got a 48-year-old or a 38-year-old that doesn't understand. You can't spend every dollar you got because you see there's responsibility that you got to budget money. They've never matured in understanding their body. You go to work, you make money, and you budget that money with your body. Jesus grew, listen, Sophia, in understanding some things about God, life, and Himself, and He grew in understanding there's some things you do with the body and there's some things you don't do with the body. There's people alive today that have not grown to understand, hey, listen, there's some things I don't do with the body. Some of you parents know and some of you older brothers and sisters know when your little brother or sister or your little child starts to pick up something that's not good for them, you'll say, stop! You don't do that with your body! And if they don't grow in maturity, they may start continue doing that when they're a teenager or an adult. See, we know Jesus grew in wisdom. He grew in understanding. And folks, whenever we talked about that, it said He grew in favor with God. And I told you, if we looked at that phrase, favor with God in the Greek, it meant He learned how. Now listen, because He understood some things about God, about life Himself, and He grew in maturity. He knew the body. There's some things you do and some things you don't. In the Greek, it means he, he, he grew to understand how to bring pleasure to God. How to bring pleasure to God. And you see, there's people going to church for years who do not know how to bring pleasure to God. I'm behind this curtain. Oh, I love that song, 10,000 Reasons. That is such a good song, and I'm back there. I'm just caught up with it. Not so you can see me, so God can see me. You know why? Because I am in love with Laura. What in the world does that have to do with that song and God? Well, you see, I like taking showers. Laura likes taking baths. So we have a bathroom where she can go and take a bath, and we have a bathroom where I take a shower. And so sometimes when we're both doing our cleanly stuff, at the same time, I'll get in the shower and I'll sing, I love Laura oh so much. Laura's the best woman I've ever been with. I know that doesn't make a lot of sense. And I make up all kinds of songs, okay? And I'm telling you, she gets out of that bathtub and she comes and gives me a hug and a kiss and she says, I so appreciate you. I love you. You see, now listen. I've grown 
to understand some things about God life myself. And because I said I do the Lord with Laura. And I've grown to understand some things about maturity. How to use this body. And so I know if she's in the bathtub, she likes to hear me sing about her. Can you imagine? If she never heard me give that kind of praise of the relationship to her, would she run out of the bathtub and hug me? She should because of her maturity with God. But you see, I do that. Now let me go back. So I'm behind the curtain. Nobody can see me. But you know who sees me behind the curtain? Who? That's right. He sees me when I stand over there and he knows whether I'm stubborn and I've never matured in understanding how to use my mouth. The Bible says in Old and New Testament every person of God ought to sing. Every man, woman, boy, child that says they're people of God. And some people, they don't mature. And they definitely don't grow in favor of God because they don't want to bring pleasure to God. They want to bring pleasure to themselves. Some of you are saying, you trying to make me feel guilty? No. God don't work off of guilt. That's how Satan works. God doesn't work with shame and guilt. God works with conviction. He grows His people, just like a parent should with children. You ought to talk with them, but you shouldn't work with shame and guilt. That's not the way God works. And I hope this morning, maybe God has brought some conviction. And whenever I talked about Jesus at that time and how he grew, I talked about those kinds of things. And then what we did, we see Jesus grows into a man, okay? And where we are today, he's a man. He's 30-some years old, okay? Now, I want you to understand, we don't have a picture of Jesus. Jesus is, he's grown his, most of his adult life. Until the last three years, he's done carpenter work. That means, listen to me, Jesus has a strong body. He doesn't have power tools. He doesn't have lifts to pick up lumber. Jesus would have had toned muscles. He would have had extremely strong forearms. A man that lifts things is going to build strong forearms. Okay? You, you get Jesus down... When you do arm wrestling, he's going to have a strong, strong forearm. Now, I know the pictures. Listen, some of you young people, listen to me. I know the pictures you see always portray Jesus in a feminine outlook. He looks like a lady in his face and his eyes. His hair is long and flowing. That, those pictures come out of the 6th century. In the 1st century, when Jesus lived, his culture, men didn't wear long hair. Somebody says, you don't know that. I'm going to tell you. You go over to Europe. You look at Roman statues and Greek statues that come from the first century. You don't have long flowing hair. You, on men, you have it cropped. You have it shorter. And in the Jewish experience, Jew, Jesus is a Jew. It would have been a shame for a man to have shoulder length hair. And yet, I'm going to tell you, some of our boys grow up and they think that's what Jesus was, some feminine, soft person. Jesus was a man's man. And if we would have saw him, he would have looked like a man. 
And he is a man today. And he's going about. And what we're learning from Luke, and I hope you come back. Uh, you see, I'm taking so much time to reduplicate this because I want some of you to come back. I want you to meet this guy, Jesus, maybe in a way you've never heard him. I want, if, you're, if you're 17, 18, 21, 23, I want you to come back. If you're 35 and 40, you're probably too old already to learn anything new. Prove me wrong. Come back. I want you to meet this man. And this man's going about preaching. Look, you think I just say this to you? I get with my preacher brothers and sisters, those people who lead churches, and I tell them, tell me what you do when you worship. Oh, I preach the Word. I said, tell me what you do when you worship. I pick on them about singing. I pick on them about encouraging people when they come in their buildings on Sunday morning, shake hands, say, how you going? Talk about Thanksgiving. Talk about the week. Ask them what's going on. And they say, I don't have to do that. And I said, okay, you don't have to do that. So I just don't do this with you. But I want you to know Jesus is a man's man. He is going about preaching and teaching. He is healing people. Come around so you can understand that because that's hard to believe. He, he, he's facing demonic influence. You really need to hear about that because I think that still goes on today. And I'm not weird in that. The people who are here at Connection for the five years of existence, no, I'm not weird. Amen? Oh, boy, I was afraid there. <laughs> I didn't, that wasn't a very hearty amen. <laughs> you didn't, well, I won't say anything. Okay? But Jesus was... was Showing victory over demonic influence. Jesus is showing people the love and mercy of God. And that's who we're looking at. And so we're in the ninth chapter. We're meeting this guy. Let's look there in the ninth chapter. Let's look at verse 27. You got it on the screen. Now, I want you to underline, if you've got your Bible or your New Testament, those first five words, I tell you the truth. Now, remember, I told you the reason I want you to bring your Bible and I want you to fill this out because I'd like to go back this week, look at the Scripture that's listed there, read these three things, look at what you circle and underline, and think about it. Meditate on it. Some of you men, you will not be the same man a year from now if you will do that. But why do I want you to underline, I tell you the truth? Because you see, you've got to decide whether Jesus is telling the truth. That's what you've got to do. If he's telling the truth, listen, all of life is impacted if you listen to him. And all of life is impacted if you don't listen to him. Because if he's telling the truth and you don't listen to him, you're not listening to the truth. And you raise your children to listen to truth. And someday, I, I, I met a young boy named John. Man, Big eyes. Good looking little boy. Mama holding him. He looks content. Somebody's doing a good job with John. But I'm going to tell you, John's going to grow up and he's going to tell mom someday, no, that's not true. She's going to say, how you know? Because my friend, and he's going to name his friend, said, and his friend will only be five or six years of age. And then it really gets tough if mom and dad doesn't teach truth. Because he's going to meet 15 and 17 year olds and 20 year olds. They're going to tell him what truth is. See, you've got to decide. When you read Luke a year from now and you, you look at this part in your Bible and you read, I tell you the truth, I hope you'll stop and you'll think, do I really believe Jesus tells the truth? You know what? The wife and I are having trouble or, or something's going on in my life. What is the truth Jesus would have for this situation? 
See, Jesus says, I tell you the truth. Now let's go on. Some standing here right now will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Now that's a tough statement. I'm going to tell you there's not anybody in any theological book that can tell you for sure what that means. I tell you the truth, some standing here right now, these are his followers that are with him, will not die before they see the kingdom of God. Now here's what I do. Whenever I get into something I don't understand, usually I I let it simmer as leftovers. And I let God try to teach me some other time about that. Or if I've got to talk to people like this morning, then what I try to do is see if content will help me see something that might speak to this. And in this case, I think what happens next speaks to this. Some of you will not die before you see the kingdom of God. Now, let me tell you about context. Context, ninth chapter of Luke is all about who is Jesus. In the seventh, eighth, and ninth verse, Herod asked a question. He says, I want to know, who is this guy I'm hearing all these stories about? That was Jesus. Okay? A little bit later, I think about the 17th verse, I don't know, 18th verse, Jesus asked people, he said, who are with him, who do other people say I am? See, the ninth chapter is all about who is Jesus. Matter of fact, I'm going to tell you before we get out of the ninth chapter, that the book of Luke, the first part and the last part, hinges upon the ninth chapter. Who is Jesus? And then in the 21st verse, I believe it is, Jesus turns to his own followers, the 12, and he says, I want to know, guys, who do you say I am? And when they tell him, he says, I want to tell you who I am. And in the next few verses, he says, I'm the guy that's going to suffer. I'm going to die. And you know who's going to make me suffer and die? It's going to be the very people who say they know God. Very people who stand up in our synagogues, in our temples, and say, this is what God says. They're going to ridicule me, they're going to reject me, and they're going to kill me. And so now he says in his 27th verse, but I want you to know, some of you will not die before you see the kingdom of God. I think Jesus talked about what happens next, so let's look and see what happens next. 28. About eight days later, just a little bit over a week, James took Peter, I mean, I'm sorry, Jesus took Peter, James and John, these three seem to be very important. Not because I'm saying they're important, but when we read all four Gospels, we notice these three guys, they like hanging with Jesus, so Jesus invites them. Some of you say, man, the pastor is my friend. Hang with me. Develop a friendship with me. Quit conflicting with me. See, these guys hung with Jesus. These three. There was 12 he called, but these three are always invited in to more. Why? They become the leaders of the church. Do you think Jesus would have turned Matthew down? Do you think he would have said to Philip, I'm sorry, you can't be with these three? But these three are always invited. They're going to become the leaders in the church. It says, Jesus took Peter and James and John up on a mountain. Now circle the next two words. Circle them. To pray. Now look, you get caught up in this transfiguration and you don't understand the process that's happening. I tell you the truth. Jesus speaks truth or he doesn't. You decide that. When you have sex outside of marriage, you have just said Jesus speaks lies. When you hold ill feelings against someone that you ought to be forgiving, I don't care if they ask you or not because God said it, you're holding on to a lie. When you don't assemble yourselves with other believers and you say you're a believer, you're holding on to a lie. 
Next week, we're going to take face down. Jesus never told us to celebrate his birth. He never said, have great Christmas celebrations. Christmas Day is one of the best attended, or Christmas season is one of the best attended seasons, especially the Sunday before Christmas, than any other time except for Easter. Jesus never said, have great Christmas celebrations. He says, I'm going to tell you what, don't, don't ever stop taking communion. Don't ever stop taking the bread and the juice. Some of you haven't taken it since almost the year you became a follower of Jesus. You have accepted a lie. So he says, you're trying to make me feel guilty? No, I'm telling you. I'm telling you. If you don't learn two and two equals four, you're going to get messed up in your finances. And if you don't understand Jesus speaks truth, you're going to get messed up in life. And here's what he says. He takes these three guys with him. They're going to experience something I think is very special. But he says, let's go up the mountain to pray. And I want to say this about prayer. Prayer is how we access the power of God. Not the number of times you sit in church. Not the number of scripture verses you memorize. And I think that's very important. Not the number of good deeds you do. I think that's important. Prayer is how we access God. In other words... We see from Jesus' life, and this isn't the first time we've seen him before tell these guys, we've got to get alone, we've got to pray, okay? We see from Jesus that you've got to bathe things about life in prayer. We need to do that. Before you decide whether you're going to go to college or you're not going to college, pray greatly about it. Before you decide who you're going to marry, Pray greatly to God about it. Before you decide who you're going to enjoy a physical relationship with by dating, pray to God. Because, boy, Satan will get you trapped. You can't get out of it. Because your emotions will say, I'm going to deny the things that are true about this person and I'll marry them. And you'll find out if they don't believe Jesus tells the truth, your life's going to be pretty horrible. Before you decide how to spend your money, pray about it. Before you decide to buy a house, I mean pray about it. Before you decide to get rid of your vehicle, I mean pray about it. Before you decide what resources you're going to give to God, financial and time, pray about it. See, that's how we get, that's how we access God's power in the things we do. And I could just keep going. Some of you have never involved yourself in a community loving activity because you never pray about it. Some of you never get involved in a connect group. You never pray about it. Some of you never really get involved in the Bible. You don't pray about it. And some of you really can't forgive people. You don't pray about it. Jesus says you don't have because you don't ask. Pray about it. So he takes them to the mountain to pray. If you've if you got your worship hand out, look at the blank. Look at the first blank. Prayer is an important action in relationship with God the Father. And I got in parentheses here. God as Father is the first person of the Godhead. God reveals himself as Father and as Son and as Holy Spirit. You come around on a regular basis, you hear me talking about this. Matter of fact, I'll venture to say, because I'll say again, Jesus, second person of Godhead, some of you have heard that more at Connection in five years than you've ever heard that in all the time you've went to church. Because we forget who is God and how He reveals Himself. 
But what if the world says, God, you can see God in the eyes of a child. I don't have any problem with that. But you want to see God? You want to meet God? Through Jesus. We'll tell you, I'll talk about that in a little bit. Look at verse 29. And as he was praying, we see Jesus praying. So what should we do? We should pray, okay? As he was praying, the appearance of his face was transformed and his clothes became dazzling white. Let me just say this. If we go back to the Old Testament, and I started to do that, I said, take too long. Over and over again, when God is revealed, it is in dazzling whiteness. If you look at Daniel 7, 9, it describes the ancient one God who always existed, and it talks about white. It talks about this dazzling whiteness. See? And so what we're seeing here is the eternal glory of God being revealed on the person of Jesus. We're seeing Jesus as he was before he came to the earth. Or they are, we're not. They're seeing Jesus as he was before he came to the earth. And as he will be when he returns. Right now he's told them, I'm going to suffer and I'm going to hurt. And I'm going to die. And they're going to question that. When we get to that part of the book of Luke, they're going to run and hide. But right now, Peter, James, and John is getting to see Jesus in his eternal glory. And you know what? The kingdom of God is where God is at. They're seeing the kingdom of God in Jesus right now. And he said, some of you won't die before you see the kingdom of God. Look at verse 30. Then two men, Moses and Elijah, appeared and began talking with Jesus. Moses lived 1,400 years before Jesus lived. And Moses represents the law. And the law shows us. Now listen, the law shows us how sinful we are. You see, whenever I make statements about sex, I make statements about forgiving, some of you feel sort of bad. Because you see, the law says we ought to keep sex where it belongs and we ought to forgive people who hurt us. See, the law shows us how sinful we are. Moses is there. He represents the law. Elijah. Elijah lived 900 years before Jesus. Elijah represents the prophets. Okay? And what did the prophets do? The prophets came to the people who said they want a relationship with God. The prophets said, okay, I'm going to tell you what you need to do. You know the law? You need to repent and turn back to God. And some of you here today, listen. Right now. You need to just go to God in your prayer and say, boy, Father, I'm already knowing I'm sorry, man. I've been living my life. I've not been paying any attention to you. And you need to turn back to God. And some of you have been Christians for many years. See, Moses represents the law that shows us how sinful we are. And Elijah represents the prophet who calls people to repent and turn back to God. And if you remember, when, when, when Jesus was in the wilderness... And he was tempted by Satan. We're told that the angels came and ministered to him. And now Jesus is telling them who he is. He's the man that's going to suffer and die. And guess what? Elijah and Moses comes and ministers to him, leading to death. You see, because Jesus, even though he was God, was fully human. And he knows, he knows the disappointments of the human experience. That's why he can understand you. When somebody betrays you, when somebody's disloyal, when, when they fire you, when it's not fair, and somebody told a lie, and everybody believed the lie, and it's not true about you, he understands that. He understands those emotions. Look at verse 31. They were glorious to see, and they were speaking about his exodus from this world. I came and ministered to him before he dies, which was about to be fulfilled in Jerusalem. By the end of this chapter, 
I'm telling you, everything begins moving toward Jerusalem, okay? They were talking to Jesus about what he had told his 12 followers eight days before that he's going to suffer and die. They're talking to him about that. Verse 32, Peter and the others had fallen asleep. Is that any wonder? I mean, listen to me. I told you Jesus was a manly man. He walked all over the place. He didn't ride a horse. The guy was a man. And these disciples were trying to keep up with him. And they would be tired. They've, they've traveled many places. We've talked about that. They, they would be tired, so it's understandable. They fall asleep. Can you imagine telling Luke this story? Man, we fell asleep. Then we woke up, and there we saw Moses and Elijah with Jesus. And, and so Luke is writing and telling us that Moses and Elijah came to Jesus, and the disciples were asleep because they were honest with Luke. And we woke up, and we saw this. Sure, they're tired. You see, we get tired in the physical. I have learned. Man, when I was a young guy, I would finish my Sunday morning sermon like 2 o'clock in the morning on Sunday morning. Now I'm an old guy. I want this sermon done weeks in advance. And then go over it. And as God gives leading and guidance, make your adjustments. Because if I stay up to 2 o'clock, I'm going to fall asleep while I preach. Some of you are afraid I'm going to fall off the platform. If I stayed up to 2 o'clock every Saturday night, I'd fall off the platform while I'm preaching. They're tired. And I'm going to tell you, they're not as spiritually in tune as Jesus is. Now, sometimes you get spiritually in tune. Some of you came tired and you woke up because I'm connecting with you. God's Spirit is speaking. And so you're not as tired as you thought you were. But you know what? We get tired. Life makes us tired. And some of us do things that make us tired. And we'll come in on Sunday morning and we're not always as spiritually in tune. And so we start falling asleep. And the people around us keep nudging us. I mean, count the bruises on Sunday afternoon. And I understand that. How many of you have I said, you know, I appreciate our young people that go to homecoming and then they'll come to church on Sunday morning. I remember those days. I tell them, thank you. You've just given God a gift. You've given connection a gift. Some of you work and then you come before you go home and go to bed. And I say, thank you. Man, that's a gift. But sometimes we're tired and if we aren't spiritually in tune, we fall asleep. I know I watch. Some of you fall asleep every, almost every Sunday. Yeah, you know I've watched one of you? You haven't fallen asleep yet. You started to. You turned sideways. You got into your sleeping position. And then I talked about Jesus' manlyhood, and you turned around. And you've heard me talk about Jesus' manlyhood, and you haven't fallen asleep yet. Now, I know you got that kind of pride. You're going to go to sleep on me, aren't you? But I'm telling you, sure they went to sleep. And so I don't try to make people feel bad. How many of you have I said... You told me you're tired. And I said, did you stay up late? Yeah, I did. I said, listen, if I can't keep you awake, take a nap. I've said that. Have I not said that? Yeah, I've said that. Because I don't want to throw guilt and shame on you. I want to bring conviction. Sometimes you're not as spiritually alert. And they weren't. But boy, you think when they woke up and they saw these two guys? They're into it, okay? Look, 32 goes on. And when they woke up, they saw Jesus' glory and the two men standing with him. Man, they are caught up with this. The glory of Jesus, which I'm going to tell you, is the glory of God. They see this transfiguration. I wish I'd go into Moses coming down when he saw the burning bush and what the people of Israel said. Man, his face was different. Matter of fact, he had to cover it because God left it for a little while. You know why God had to leave that with Moses for a while? Because he went back to people. And you know what happened to people? Life makes them not trust God's people who leads them. Life ever make you not trust me? 
You ever come to me with a question and I give you what I think is God's answer and you say, you don't know it all. Oh, you don't tell me that because you're kind. You just go, uh-huh, uh-huh, uh-huh. And then when I leave, you say, he don't know it all. See, with Moses, because that was new. It had been 400 years in Egypt. I wish I could take time to just describe that to you. God, let that radiance just glow on his face that he had to cover it sometimes. They're seeing Jesus. Now you're going to see why. Now look, somebody says, but I can't believe this. You believe things out of human history that comes from antiquity with less evidence. Look on the screen. Let's go to Peter. Look what Peter wrote. Second Peter. 116. Peter wrote this 35 years. Luke was written 29 years after Jesus left the earth. Peter wrote this 35 years after Jesus left the earth. Look what Peter wrote to the Christians because they heard about the transfiguration of Jesus because they would read the Gospels. <coughs> Excuse me. And they said, oh man, that's hard to believe. Peter wrote this, for we were not making up clever stories. That's what the internet tells you. Somebody made up these stories so they control people. He says, we were not making up clever stories. In other words, this is the truth. When we told you about the powerful coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In other words, when Jesus was on the earth, we saw His majestic splendor with our own eyes. Look, He keeps using the word we. In other words, He's indicating there's people who can prove this. It's not one guy who is saying, this is what we, I saw. When we received, look what he said, or when he received honor and glory from God the Father, the voice from the majestic glory of God said to him, this is my dearly loved son who brings me great joy. He says, we ourselves, again saying there's people who can testify to this, we ourselves heard that voice from heaven when we were with him on the holy mountain. That's a mount of transfiguration. Peter writes six years after Luke had wrote it, which happened 35 years before Peter and happened 29 years before Luke. Peter was there. Luke wasn't there. But Peter verifies Luke's gospel story. And people of antiquity tell you, you know what? I believe everything Luke writes then. But they don't because if you believe it, it means you've got to change. Just like some of you will not be in church next week because you don't want to change. So you don't need it. Because you can do it on your own. And you're lying. Life will beat you up. Let's move on. Luke 9, 33rd verse. As Moses and Elijah were starting to leave, Peter not even knowing what he was saying. That's a Peter all the time. Opens his mouth, doesn't know what he's saying. That's me sometimes. I'm looking at my family. My son Daniel's here, see? That's me sometimes. Thank you. Say, that's a good son. He said, no, no. Of course, it was one of these things. Winked his eye and all that. Okay? You know what he said? So he blurted out. Look what he said. Master! You know, he just woke up. Oh, Master, it's wonderful for us to be here. Let me make three shelters as memorials for you. Or let's make, he doesn't say me, let's make three shelters as memorials. One for you, one for Moses, and one for Elijah. Now look at your message map. Look at the next blank. They are catching a glimpse of the kingdom of God where Jesus belongs. Where Jesus belongs. That word belongs supposed to be underlined, capitalized, so you know where the blanks are filled in. I'm sorry, didn't get that on there. Where Jesus belongs. Now they catch this glimpse, and what does Peter do? Peter says, oh man, this is outstanding. I got a plan. I, I got a plan. Let's do my way. I want to build something to memorize, memorialize this. Oh, let's build three somethings. Oh, we can talk about this. You see, Peter does what humans do. 
Peter wants to do his plan. Often people decide to do what they want to do. They don't even concern themselves with what God has said or what he will say. They're going to do what they want to do. Peter's saying, let's begin a tradition. Let's build these places. And you're going to see in a little bit. Jesus is going to say, no. I'm going to tell you. Listen to me. Today, people, people make the center of their faith a church building or a tradition. And I want you to understand, Christianity is not based. It does not center its faith on a location or a tradition. It bases its faith upon the person of Jesus Christ. And it interprets everything through Him. Do you hear me? That's where our existing churches are running into trouble. I love them. They have touched many lives and God wants to use them. But we're losing America. We're the third most lost nation in the world after 280 years basically of the Christian movement in America. And churches are raising up that are saying, you know what? You can meet in the school building. We've had people who come who have told me when I asked them, how come you didn't come back? Because, you know, I, I just don't think that's the place where you can worship God in a school building. Peter wants a sinner. This, this tremendous experience with Jesus. And boy, if I'd been there, I think it'd been tremendous. I might have to go and change my drawers later. But I think it'd been tremendous. And Peter says, let's make these memorials. And they're going to center their faith upon a place. Folks, we don't center our, place, our faith on a tradition or a place. We center it upon the Jesus. The danger here is that they want to build a memorial on the mountain and not go back to people who need help. And we do that. I'll come on Sunday morning, but don't ask me to take my life into the lives of people who need help. That's the danger here. Look what 34 says. But even as he was saying this, a cloud came over them and terror gripped them as a cloud covered them. Often in the Old Testament, God would use clouds and it scared the people and it would scare us too. Then a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, my chosen one. Underline the next three words. So when you read this two years from now, you'll say, Why did I underline that? He said, The cloud, God's voice, God says, Listen to him. We must listen to what Jesus says. Peter had suggestions. Peter had his plan. And you know what God said about Peter's suggestion, Peter's plan? Listen to Jesus. That's what he said. We tend to want to keep the experience we had and reminisce about it, him. And we got to hear God who says, listen to Jesus. And you know what Jesus said? If you're a follower of Jesus, Jesus said, as a father has sent me into the world, so send I you. And a lot of people today, Christians, and they are Christians, they're inside buildings. And they hang on their traditions and their center of faith, the building. And they never really live and love like Jesus out in the world. You know what is so exciting? I hear some of you older folks as well as the younger folks say, I'm just trying to live and love like Jesus where I find myself. We got to be careful. We got our plans, how we want to do it. And what we got to do is realize it's not in all that kind of activity. It's getting back with people who need 
to see Jesus through us. Look at 36. And when the voice finished, Jesus was there alone. And they didn't tell anyone at the time what they had seen. Moses and Elijah are gone. The work is done for that time, at that experience. But Jesus is still there, and they are to listen to Him. That's what God said. They are to listen to Jesus. Look at the last blank on your message map. Let me say this. What you have there. Jesus is not just another good man. Jesus is completely different. He's not just a mere man. Jesus is the, should be underlined, glory of God. That's your underlying place. He is the glory of God. That's what He is. That's what they see. That's what they see. Now folks, you and I are 2,000 years removed from that. The only thing we can do is read about it. That's the only thing we can do is read about it. Look on the screen. I want you to look at what Paul wrote to the Colossian Christians. Okay? These are a group of Christians in a city called Colossae. He wrote this. Okay? He wrote it 29 years later. He wrote this to the Colossian Christians about the same time that Luke wrote the Gospel. Look what he wrote. Christ is. Paul saw Christ raised from the dead. Paul talked to the people who saw Christ raised from the dead. Paul talked to people who talked to Christ. Paul learned about Jesus, and look what he writes. Christ is the visible image of the invisible God. Jesus was once asked, what does God look like? What's he like? And Jesus said, I'm going to tell you, if you've seen me, John 14, 9, if you've seen me, you've seen God. That's what Jesus said. Does he tell the truth? If he tells the truth, and you want to know what God is like, just read the Gospels and meet the character of Jesus. They all give their slant because one's writing to Gentile people, one's writing to Jewish people, one's writing from the miraculous side, and Luke is just writing. Listen, he's a man of science. He's a man of science. He's a physician. He's a medical doctor. He's writing from the side of the intelligent looking, asking all the questions. Are you sure that person was sick? Are you sure they were dead? Are you sure you saw angels? Are you sure it was Elijah? Are you sure it was Moses? How do you know? He would ask all the intelligent questions. Now nobody tells you that about the Bible, see? And you read it just to get through it and not to comprehend it. He says, he goes on, He existed before anything was created. That's Jesus, say. He existed before anything was created. He's not a created being. He is supreme over all creation. Look at verse six, uh, yeah, 16. For through Him God created everything in the heavenly realms and on earth. He made the things we can see and the things we can't see. Now listen, he says, there's things we can't see. Look what he says. Such as thrones and kingdoms and rulers and authorities and the unseen rule. There is the unseen. We don't see angels often. And we don't see fallen angels often. We don't see demons. Demons are just fallen angels. Bible tells me that. I don't be afraid of what the Hollywood puts out. Bible tells me I can understand that. See? Look at Everything was created through Jesus and for Jesus. Verse 17, He existed before anything else and He holds all creation together. Jesus was not created. Jesus is the creator of all there is, folks. And He speaks truth. Is He not worthy of you learning that truth? Now He goes on. 
He says in 18, Christ is also the head of the church, which is his body. He is the beginning, supreme over all who rise from the dead. And so he is first in everything. You want to know he's first in your schooling. He's first in your dating. He's first in your marriage. You know what? Jesus is first in your politics. Jesus is first in everything. Verse 19, for God in all his fullness was pleased to live in Christ. Christ is the second person of the Godhead. He was a man, but he was God. And verse 20 says, and through him God reconciled everything to himself. He, listen to what he says, he made peace with everything in heaven and on earth. How? By means of Christ's blood on the cross. Now I'm going to close, let me say this. Christ's death on the cross and his resurrection from the dead is the most important event in all of human history. And Christianity is the only world faith that teaches the death of Jesus Christ and his resurrection. There is not another one. Somebody tells you all religions are the same. They've just told you they've not studied those religions. Christianity is the only religion, the only faith, the only relationship with God that says he died on the cross for my sins. He shed his blood on that bloody cross for me. But three days later, he rose from the dead so that I might know one day, one day I will live with him in heaven. But you know what? Here on this earth, I can live and love like him. Christianity is unique of all world's faith. All world's faith are man's attempt to accomplish a relationship with God. Christianity teaches none of us can get into a relationship with God. None of us can accomplish it. It happened because the Son of God, the second person of Godhead, voluntarily came here. When he could have, he said, I can call 10,000 angels if I needed them. Put away that sword. He voluntarily went to the cross and died for my sins. And he said, I'll tell you what, every person, every human being that will look to that cross, believing who I am and that I died for them and rose for them, they will have a relationship with me here and there. The ch most churches are always talking about there. It's here and there. I invite you. I invite you to become a follower of Jesus Christ. Do we have a question? Let's go with one. Do you think Jesus ever had bad days where he laid in bed sick all day or without withheld from those around him because they let him down and stuff like that? We have no testimony from those who walked with him that he was ever sick. Understand, being God, I can realize that. None of that. Do we have him being depressed? Yes. People who tell us what extreme depression will do to you, it will cause you, if you are excruciatingly depressed, you feel there is great pressure, you will even sweat blood. Medical evidence that says that possible. The day before, or just hours before he's arrested, he knows what's going to happen to him. He's going to, they're going to take, they're going to take a whip with bones and metal at the end, and they're going to whip him 
And they're going to rip, they're going to rip the flesh down. They're going to rip some of the nerve endings. They're going to rip the muscles. And he's, he knows the pain. You know how he knows the pain? He created the human body. And he's going to go through all that. And that's not going to be spared. Isaiah said, he will go to the cross. And by the time he dies, you won't even be able to recognize him as being the man who walked in Jerusalem. Some of you have seen the passion of Christ. Some of you say, I don't want to see it. There's people who say, I don't want to see that. I don't believe in that. That is exactly what the Old Testament said would happen to him. He would be so disfigured by the whipping and the beating before he died. So you're asking me, did he feel down? Yeah. Matter of fact, that night, he asked those guys twice. He says, what's, what's going on, guys? Can't you even pray with me? Can't you even pray? Trouble's coming. Yeah. I think he felt that, just like you and I. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you for Luke. Thank you for what we've read today. And God, just help us. We don't understand it all, but help us to grow in our understanding of more of it. We ask you to help us to that. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Do we have, before we go,